Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. The book of Exodus, known in Hebrew as Shemot, the second book of the Torah, the five books of Moses as it is known in the general community, contains some of the most uh, memorable moments in the history of the Jewish people. It tells the story of the enslavement of the Hebrews under Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. It tells of the exodus and the struggle for the release of the Jewish people from the overseers of Pharaoh. It tells us of the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. It continues to tell us about the travels of the Israelites in the desert. And the book concludes with instructions about how to build the tabernacle, which will be the blueprint that David uses and Solomon uses for the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. And of course, The revelation at Mount Sinai is the centerpiece of the book of Exodus. Yet, in addition to all of these magnificent scenarios and episodes, some of which have been captured on film and even in theater, there are a number of important questions that emerge with regard to the theology and the intentionality of the book of Exodus. This morning, I want to begin by chatting with you about the plagues. I want to ask the question and share with you some thoughts of modernity and antiquity about the purpose of the 10 plagues. So let's begin in the following way. Although the plagues that God rains down upon Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians between Exodus 7 and Exodus 13 seem almost grotesquely farcical in their nature, blood, frogs, fiery hail, they raise complex and nuanced questions about collective punishment and collective responsibility. They seem from the outset to be a form of collective punishment that appears to be deeply unjust. Moses begs Pharaoh to free the Israelites from their bondage. And when he says, no, all of Egypt is punished over and over again from the turning of water into blood to the slaying of the firstborn children. Now, how do we understand this? The medieval Italian commentator Sforno tells us that the verse from Exodus, from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the captive, which describes the scope of the last plague as shorthand for a more accusatory phrase, meaning from the most guilty parties of Pharaoh to the least guilty parties, the children of the captives who were sitting in the dungeons, he writes. 
Sforno's comment highlights the fact that these least guilty were neither in a position to enslave the Israelites initially nor to free them in order to stop the plagues, yet they were collectively punished with those such as Pharaoh himself who were. It was outright punishment of the innocent. Now, if we set aside the fundamental question of why the Hebrew scripture would want to punish innocent children for the sins of their parents, and why the most powerless slave women would suffer along with the all-powerful Pharaoh in the slaying of the firstborn, what sense can we make of the Torah's understanding of collective punishment? The medieval French commentator Rashi circumvents these questions, saying that the Egyptian slaves and captives lost their firstborn to children to the slave because they too enslaved the Israelites and took joy in their suffering. According to this French commentator, the plague of the firstborn was punishment for each Egyptian who participated in the oppression of the Israelites and not collective punishment with all of its unjust implications. Another interpretation enables us to derive a lesson from the plagues while preserving the text's emphasis on the collective. Rather than unjustly targeting the innocent, we might say that the collective punishment teaches us about collective responsibility to free the oppressed. Viewed through these lenses, the plagues point to a wider circle of responsibility beyond one national or ethnic group. The Egyptians at the lower echelons of society were responsible for the wrong dealt by the most powerful among them. Even further still, they were held liable for the well-being of the minority in their midst, the Israelites. We can derive from this interpretation a powerful notion of collective responsibility that extends from each human being to all human beings. Certainly, we in Canada and the United States understand that political leaders make determinations about the lives of others. And yet, even though we are not making those determinations, we bear part of the responsibility for their determinations by whom we elect to office. Now, this solution is not without its own difficulties. One might ask why I should be responsible for the actions of others. Isn't it enough to be responsible for my own actions and repercussions? One might ask, am I responsible for the unfair detention of human rights activists in countries throughout all of the world? Or am I even responsible for the implementation of policies with regard to immigrants, legal and illegal, in America and Canada? What if I'm relatively powerless against those who are perpetuating injustice? How far does this notion of responsibility extend? Well, some would argue that it ultimately encompasses the entire world. 
even though shouldering global responsibility is difficult, the alternative to know about horrific brutalities penetrated, perpetrated against innocent people elsewhere in the world and doing nothing is untenable. The lack of this responsibility, the distancing of ourselves from other has allowed atrocities to take place throughout world history without protest. This fits into the story of the Exodus in some fascinating ways. Even if one would want to argue that Egyptian servants and captives are unable to stop the enslavement of the Israelites, their silence was damning. Their punishment is perhaps understood as a message to us. To be silent in the face of injustice is to be implicated in the act itself. One might need only to remember how the book of Exodus begins following the commandment of the Pharaoh to bring the Israelites into slavery, we are told that the king of the Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him, but if it's a daughter, she may live. The Hebrew midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this and let the boys live? The Hebrew midwives in in chapter 1, verse 19, say to the Pharaoh, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before a midwife can get to them. So God was good, and the midwives and the people multiplied and became numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Now Pharaoh, in response to the heroic behavior of the midwives, then commands all the people of Egypt, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. The interpretation that I first read to you this morning, that the plagues are an implication and an understanding of how we derive a lesson of all of us being responsible for the behavior of a few, it finds its root in the text itself and the actions of the midwives who are described as Hebrew. And from the Hebrew text, we're not really sure whether they are actually midwives to the Hebrews or members of the Hebrew people themselves. Each of us, those who are far from being pharaohs, have tremendous powers of influence over both local and world events. We can heed the call to responsibility by working to ensure that no one of our neighbors goes hungry and that all have adequate child care. And one can go on to talk about um, the use of collective economic clout, um, the acceptance of global responsibility rather than uh, simply suggesting we have no power. Um, We should use that 
according to this interpretation, to recognize that the collective punishment of the Ten Commandments should be a spur to action. From the most powerful to the least, we each have a role to play. In a world in which anyone suffers for naught, we are all collectively and each individually responsible for doing what can, we can to stop that suffering. So that's one interpretation of the purpose of the plagues, to spur all to see their role in responding to injustice. But Jewish tradition understood the plagues in a very different way as well. In Exodus 5.2, Pharaoh is quoted as saying, Who is the Lord that I must obey him? I know not God. In other words, Pharaoh did not recognize God, neither God's existence nor still God's authority to give commands to human beings, and most certainly not to Pharaoh the ruler, nay, one might even say the God of the land. So, in the Torah, which describes the Ten Commandments, they are a relentless attempt to break Pharaoh's arrogant heart and to teach Pharaoh to know God. In fact, the text seems to suggest that the purpose of the plagues is not punishment, but the purpose of the plagues is education. Notice that in verse 7, 5, it reads, V'yadu mitzrayim ki ani aranai. And Egypt shall know, a continuation of the verb to know, I am the Lord. And in chapter 7, verse 17, B'zot te da ki ani aranai. Through this, you shall know that I am the Lord, referring to the first plague. And referring to the second plague, in order that you may know that there is none like the Lord our God. Verse chapter 8.18, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Notice how this verb continues to predominate all of the mentions of the plagues. 9.14 Ba'avorte da'kiani kemoni b'chol ha'aret so that you may know that there is none like me in the whole world. 9.29 Lama'ante da'kila adonai ha'aret so you may know that the earth is God's. 10.2 Ve'adatam ki ani adonai that you may know I am God. Eleven seven Lamaan Ted Un Asher Yif Le Adonai Ben Mitzrayim Uven Yisrael, that you may know that God does not make a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Viadu Mitzrayim Ki Ani Adonai, and the Egyptians shall know I am the Lord. Exodus fourteen four. And finally, at the end of the plagues, the Yadu Mitzrayim Kiani Adonai, and the Egyptians shall know I am God. Ten times in all, we find mention of the verb knowing.
associated with God, knowing God in the chapters dealing with the 10 plagues. Corresponding, one might note, to Aserata Debrot, the 10 words, or as they're known in the vernacular, the 10 commandments. Parallelism of the number 10. Abravanel, the great Spanish-Jewish biblical commentator and statesman, thus explains the purpose of the 10 plagues. Pharaoh t- took issue with Moses on three principles, Abravanel writes. Moses assumed the existence of a necessary existent first cause, whereas Pharaoh denied it, saying, I know not God. The second principle Moses laid down was that God watches over the ways of men, humanity, and mets out reward and punishment to each according to his own deserts, which Pharaoh repudiated by inquiring, Who is God? The third principle Moses asserted was that the provident God is the God of Israel and the all-powerful, able to change the nature of things according to God's will. Pharaoh denied this by mockingly saying, Who is God that I must obey him? In other words, what power does this God possess that I must submit to his demand? Sforno says, it was for this that the plagues came, to confirm these three principles of God's existence. The first three plagues, according to Sforno, came to prove God's existence. The next three asserted the second principle, the providence of God. And the last three came to substantiate the third principle, that God can change the nature of things at will. According to Abravanel, the three set of plagues represented by their initial Hebrew letters embody three separate levels of acknowledgments of God which the Egyptians had to achieve. The Creator, the Lord of History, and the Lord of Nature. Now this may seem an artificial construct, but an analysis of the ten verses that I've mentioned this morning does seem to indicate that the knowledge of God, which the plagues were meant to instill, is understood in two senses, as referring to God's justice and referring to God's mercy. The first two verses, which introduce the plagues as a whole, refer to both these aspects of God. Chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. And I shall set my hand against Egypt and release my hosts, the people of children, children of Israel from Egypt, with great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am God, and I will stretch over my hand over Egypt and release the children of Israel from their midst. Hence the two aspects of interchange. Sometimes the plague involved and serves to instill in them a knowledge of the divine attributes of judgment and retribution, at others those of compassion and mercy. Compare the comments of the three following Midrashim on the purpose of the first plague. These are all from ancient Midrashim, um, homiletical commentary. 
The first one from Shemot Rabbah. Why were the waters transformed into blood? Because Pharaoh and the Egyptians worshipped the Nile. Said God, I shall strike first his God, then his nation. As the saying goes, strike the God and the priests will tremble. The second Midrash, again about the first plague of blood. Why did he bring upon them a plague of blood? Because they threw the children of the Israelites into the river. As it is written, every male child that is born shall you cast into the river. Therefore, he punished them through the waters of the Nile. And the third, the third Midrash asks, because they split, spilt the blood of the Israelites like water. The canals ran blood and their flowing water they could not drink. Thus we see that the latter two Midrashim, homiletical stories interpret the plagues as a punishment measure for measure, whereas the first emphasizes a pedagogical, pedagogical and theological aspect, the one most important for arriving at the knowledge of the true God. The 10th century French commentator said this, there are many homiletical elaborations of Scripture, and our sages have collected them, but I have come to the plain meaning of the verse and cite only the homiletical interpretation which best elucidates the context. And, and therefore, accordingly, Rashi, this 10th century commentator, said, since there is no rainfall in Egypt, but the Nile overflows and the waters, the land, and the Egyptians worship the Nile. He therefore plagued first their God and then themselves. In other words, this commentator's choice of explanation is determined not by ideological considerations, but by the textual consideration. The verse which contains Moses' announcement to Pharaoh of the forthcoming plague of God, blood, plague of blood, distinctly states, By this thou shalt know that I am God. Look, I shall now strike the water in the Nile, and I will turn it to blood. Therefore, Rashi could not explicate the purpose of the plague in retributive punish terms. He had to stress its educational character in keeping with the compassionate aspect of the name of God, Yudhevavheg. Now, the last plague, hail, prior to the death of the firstborn, it constitutes a climax both numerically and in the intensity of the suffering it brought. The text says, For this time I shall send my plagues upon thy person. The warning that we read in Exodus, in Exodus 9, differs from the others in both character and length. Exodus 9, verse 14, verse 18 and 19. For this time I will send my, all my plagues upon thy person, upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Listen carefully, this is not retribution, 
but this is education. By now I have stretched out my hand and struck thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou wouldst have been cut off from the earth. But I have let you survive only for this purpose in order to show thee my power and spread my fame through the earth. It continues in chapter 9. This time tomorrow I will rain down a heavy hail, the likes of which has never been in Egypt since the day it was founded till now. Now therefore send for and hurry in all thy livestock and all thy beast in the field and every man and beast found in the field and not brought into the house. The hail will come down on it and it will die. Indeed, this is the first plague which made some impact on Pharaoh's stubbornness. This is the first time that Pharaoh, who declared war on God with the words, Who is this God? I do not recognize God, bows his head, and in chapter 9, 27, this time I am wrong and the Lord is right, and I and my people are the villains. So what prompted this change of heart? We have noted this morning how nothing heretoith has succeeded in shaking Pharaoh's determination. Neither the signs nor wonders nor the plagues with all the calamities brought on him and his people. So the ancient rabbi said, after none of the plagues did Pharaoh assert the Lord is just, except after the plague of hail. Why did the plague of hail such have such an impact on Pharaoh? And the rabbi's answer, one who seeks to attack his fellow and overcome him will take him by surprise, kill him, and take all his possessions. But the Holy One, blessed be he, said to Pharaoh, Send therefore now and gather there thy cattle. Namely, God did not take the Egyptians and Pharaoh by surprise. He gave them warning. And it was after this warning that Pharaoh was moved to assert, according to the text, that God is right. The compassion that informed the divine judgment had moved Pharaoh. The same idea which the Midrash depicts in dramatic form is formulated by Sforno, that great Italian commentator, so that I might show you my power to move you to repent, as it is written, for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth. Send now for thou gather thy cattle to enable the servants who tend the cattle to get away. The purpose of the plagues through all of this was educational to instill acknowledgement of God in those who adhered to prior to this refused to acknowledge him. This purpose is, unlike my first set of commentaries, not about retribution, not about collective punishment, but the purpose is echoed in the form and content of the wordings of the plague. In particular, in the seventh one, God's method of teaching his creatures is to remember compassion and anger. We can read many things into the plagues. We can speak about them uh, and try and understand collective punishment and its uh, implications for collective responsibility. Or we can try and read the words of the Torah as a methodology of God teaching those who could not 
acknowledge God's presence through simple reason that the God of the Hebrews was the God of all people. The God of the Hebrews was greater than the God of Egypt, Pharaoh. The God of the Hebrews was not simply asking Pharaoh to let my people go. He was asking Pharaoh to let my people go so that they may serve the ultimate one God. Next time you read the story of the plagues, ask yourself, what is the purpose of the plagues as written in the Hebrew Torah? For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten Whitting, wishing you a good morning. You can hear a rebroadcast of this morning's program on the CHRI website, or you can download the podcast from iTunes. Shalom. 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 Shalom.